Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. As we come towards the end of a school year like no other, I want to thank all the school staff listening. The work you do has never been more important to the communities you serve. Today, I am delighted to welcome Fiona Miller. Fiona is a writer, journalist and campaigner on school issues. I'm sure many of you will be familiar with her Guardian columns and some of her campaigning work around supporting local schools. She is someone I have long wanted to meet, although sadly today we are only communicating via a, a computer screen. Given Fiona's experience and passions, we could talk about all sorts of things today, but we're going to focus primarily on Fiona's long career in governance. Before we begin, just a quick reminder as ever that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guest and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Welcome, Fiona. Hello. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Thank you uh, for, for joining us today. And um, really wanted to um, get your thoughts, having been a governor yourself uh, for quite a long time now. I believe you started in 1992. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, why do you think the, the role of the school governor is, is so poorly understood, sort of within education and, and beyond education? Well, I think the whole subject of governance generally is poorly understood. I don't think people, more, unless they've done it, I think people see the leaders of organisations as the people who are paid to lead organisations. And this doesn't just apply to schools, it applies to charities and businesses and lots of other organisations, without realising there's another group of people above them who have to sort of mm. hold them to account and what exactly their role is. So I think that could do with better definition. And also, I think parents generally have a vague idea of what governors are if you've got children in school but remember large sections of the population haven't got children in school and they haven't had children in school since school governance became such a big thing in the sort of you know late 80s early 90s uh, but I don't find that people I think most people do know what it is they just don't understand the complexities of the role and particularly latterly as it's got more and more responsibility attached to it mm. yeah and and in, in, how has your experience of, of being a governor influenced you and your, your thinking and writing about education? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I, you know, I'm sort of on the cusp of stepping down after about 30 years of being a school governor. And I, I'll have to think again about writing about education <laughs> after that thing, because I feel I'd feel a bit of a fraud writing about it in the way that I do without having the first hand experience, because there's such a you know, there's such a mismatch sometimes between the national debate and the me what you read in the media and what, what is actually going on on the ground in schools. So I feel it's really important to me to feel the latter mm. in order to comment on, on a, in a public, you know, on a national public scale. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really important to understand how policy translates into everyday life in schools. Yeah, and I think it's been interesting. I mean, I'm a, I'm a governor... Um, myself as well have been for for over for t 10 years and you you really see particularly uh, uh, the experience we've just been through through um the school reopening for example how these sort of blanket decisions and 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 things thrown out at guidance and a kind of top level you know they, they don't work for everybody or schools have to adapt and and do things differently take 
the idea that shouldn't have rotors in order to get um, children back into school and schools just going the only way we can do this is by rotors you know this is a real mismatch and actually it's a time like that where you really need the support of of governors to 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 ask those questions and 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 translate um, Mm. that guidance in in a meaningful way in a a local context and and on the ground Um, and, and as you say, it, it, having that um, frame of experience and frame of, of reference as somebody commenting on the education system or working in education, um, having that real life experience can be can be really valuable. Can you think of a kind of particular example around that? Well, I would say in the last recent period, the lockdown period, I think some of the comments about schools opening, mm-hmm. I've read that so many times, drives <laughs> me mad, schools reopening and they yeah. never closed. Or children not doing online lessons. Well, what do they mean by online lessons? There's lessons that are put online, work that's put online. Well, there's live streamed lessons. But what you see all the time is a shorthand in the press mm. that talks about schools being closed, online lessons. But the reality is much more nuanced, nuanced than that. I'd say another very good example is about school funding. I mean, every time there's an announcement about school funding, it makes it sound as if, you know, riches are going to rain down from the heavens. But when mm. you pick it apart, look at what it's going to be in your school, in your area. It's often nothing like the, you know, and, 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 you know, when I started being a governor, I mean, it's shameful in a way that we didn't really talk that much about school funding because mm. it was adequate. Yeah. I mean, the budget wasn't the thing that, it, you know, it was important, but I don't think it's, you know, in the last five or six years, it's just been something that people are throwing their hair out about all the time. And I think that isn't necessarily reflected in the national conversation. No, and, and, and coming moving on from that, what, what change what other changes have you seen in, in nearly three decades of, of governance? Well, I think the biggest difference has been the amount of data that governors have. I mean, mm. when I started being a governor, there was you know, there were no leaks tables and there was no offset. It was a very different world. Governors really had no access, independent access to any the information they needed to do their job properly. So mm. I think in some schools, including the one where I started off as governor, it was a sort of long war of attrition between the management of the school and the governing body to try and get answers to questions, which we would all take for granted now. I mean, mm. there may be schools now that find it find a way not to give their governors the full picture, but it's actually very, very difficult because, you know, so much of it is in, is in the public domain now. Um, so that's, that's a huge difference. I, I think the trouble is we've gone too far the other way where we can spend so much time mm. looking at data that we kind of lose the wood for the trees. Um, so I think that needs to be that does need to be dealt with a bit, but it's generally a good thing. I mean, more information is better than less. It's just a, a really deciding how how best to present it and how best to act on it. I yeah, I'm interested uh, to to sort of see your reflections on on that on that school funding piece and and the role of of, of school governors in in budgets. Yeah, well, I mean, as I say, I started being governor in 1992, and schools weren't that well funded. Then you had those Labour years when you know, school funding went up by about 5% every year. So there was generally enough money for what you wanted to do. I mean, you had to account for how you were prioritising it. But, I mean, what's happened since then is we've, you know, the last decade, we've had to focus on making cuts. Mm. Um, and that is, a, you know, that is a huge governor, governor responsibility, especially if you're making redundancies. So I think a lot of time is being taken up now with things like consultations on restructuring and redundancies and so on. And obviously, a lot of time's been taken up with risk registers and discussions about how we're going to keep school safe at the moment. And we're slightly moving away, I think. it can. You, there is a risk there that you can move away from the bigger picture, which is, mm. you know, what, how are we giving the kids the best education that we can? 
yeah and I think it's 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 somehow how do you kind of triangulate some of that that data with keeping those those children and their experience at your school front and center and thinking you know are are we giving them the best the best start that we that we can do and and what do what do we need to do to in order to prioritize that and assess the impact of of losing certain certain aspects of of what we're doing which is which is the real challenge and thinking about um the the changing uh, role of of the of the governor obviously the last few months have seen a, a very different um way of a way of working for governing bodies uh some might say progress in a in a, in a rapid space uh, space of time i mean i certainly know that a lot of the meetings i've attended have been a lot shorter uh, uh, how well, how is your um, your current um, governing body that you're that you're chairing adapted to remote working? I think we've adapted really well. I mm. mean, I think they're all people who use Zoom in their professional lives, so it hasn't been that difficult to sort of show you know people switch onto it very very quickly. And I think that in some ways they are more efficient. Mm. I mean, my concern is that we spend an inordinate amount of time meeting and then quickly re-meeting every time the guidance changes. Yeah. And, and as I say, talking, you know, being premises managers, really, in a way, rather than you know, educators. And, and that's inevitable. I mm. mean, that is just inevitable. People are so nervous about this thing going wrong and people getting sick. So it has been a very strange period. And, and it's a very strange period to sort of leave governance, really, mm. because I've almost sort of come back around to where I started, which was that there were no league tables when I started. And there are going to be no league tables this year either. Um, and that opens up a space, I think, for a different conversation. Mm. I just hope some, you know, I, I just hope there will be the will there to have that conversation when this immediate period is over. Mm. And how do you how do you feel about about stepping away from governance for for a while? Well, I'm com- I'm carrying on for a bit longer, but I'm not going to be chair anymore mm. after the end of August. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think in a way it's. I'm not saying I won't do it again. I may do, but we, you know, you you have a sort of shelf life with an individual mm. school. There's a time when you need to move on and new people need to come in, and that moment has arrived. I feel very sad about it because, you know, I've always been a girl at the schools my children attended, all three of them. Um, so I've had a strong emotional attachment to mm. them in that regard, and I feel it's a really important job in the local community. But I also feel that since I've stopped being a parent, I haven't felt quite as connected in a way as I did when I was a parent. And, Actually, the person who's taken over for me has got, you know, three school-aged children. I think that's probably better. Yeah, she'll do a great job. And and on that point about about managing to balance the comp- competing demands of of raising a family and in and in your case a successful career mm. in, in journalism, how do you manage to be chair of governors as well? <laughs> how do you do it? Well, you know, ask a busy person. I think there were times in my life, I've always found that, you know, is that people who do a lot take on a lot more. Mm. It's often quite hard to persuade people who don't, aren't frantically busy that they can do some of these things, maybe because they don't have confidence and they don't have experience. And at the time, I, I mean, I took on a lot at the time when I was sort of the busiest because I just got very, very good at, you know, multitasking and managing my time. Um, I think there were moments, I did have a mo- I remember we, the head of the first, my children's primary school we'd parted company with him back in the 90s and I just had a new baby and you know I was the vice chair and a lot of the responsibilities fell to me because the chair had a very important job in the NHS so I found myself in school a lot during the day and I remember feeling quite resentful of the fact that you know I had no support or help at all to do this job whereas in any other walk of life you'd either have been paid or you Mm -hmm. might get some childcare benefits 
Um, and I think that's a shame because I think that's probably leads to a narrower range of people being governors, frankly. We then did introduce childcare payments for governors. It was a primary school, so it meant you know, a wider group of people could get involved. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard. But I think if you're doing a lot, if you're thinking in that way a lot of the time, it's almost easier to slot something else in. I just got yeah. very good at slotting other things in. I found, you know, this lockdown period, I find it really interesting because the first time in about 30 years, I haven't really had that. I mean, I work from home anyway, but I haven't had, I've had work to do, but I've had nothing else to do, really, because I haven't been able to go out the house. It's been a bit of a novel experience, I have to say. I find it quite terrifying now, the thought of going back to normal. So mm. I'm so used to being really wound down. And I realise that I haven't really been wound down since I had my first child. The 25 years of being a working mother, and then it's a lot. Yeah, a real a real change of, of, of state. Mm, pace, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it is interesting, that point about... Um, who's who's available in in the day or can can be mm. in school um more often and and that often leading to a, a bias towards maybe people who who manage their own schedule be that because they're retired or Absolutely. working freelance or these kinds of things <clears throat> yeah and i think if you're a primary school parent and governor as well and you're in school a lot, you do then absorb a lot of the comments and the co- concerns of parents that you mm. see every day, whereas if you're a governor who's more remote, <clears throat> I mean, people do contact you as a chair of governors if you're from time to time, but if you're in the playground every day, you know, <laughs> and that's an added, you know, that's something else, you've got to really work out how to manage that, because there are things that are legitimately the concern of the governors, and there are things that aren't, and, and I think learning that lesson of what to intervene over and what to let go is is really important for a governor. You know, it's not your really your job to work out, you know, if the water fountains aren't working or the toilets aren't clean. Some, you know, you can ask about it, but you're not. But there are bigger issues that are your responsibility. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned as governor is knowing when to intervene and when not to. Yeah, and I think it, it can can often be difficult for, for parents who have that additional stake in the school, obviously, and having their children there um, and access to that feedback from other parents sometimes to... To, to to manage the the role of governor rather than becoming a sort of parent parent rep, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. be. Well, I was a parent governor then, mm-hmm. so that yeah. obviously was why. Was why you've got to be very clear about what that role involves too. Mm. I mean, and, and equally, I guess, suppose for for the staff governor as well, that you you know that it's not quite your place to to, to lobby for things on behalf of the the staff. It's mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think sometimes if that if that sort of induction and an explanation doesn't mm-hmm. happen, then you leads to to issues um but but on that point about um you know who 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 is on the governing body and and how how people um sustain a career in in governance uh nga have have um do their annual survey and uh last year 94 percent of of school governors were were white british and you know given given the times we're, we're we're living in i'd be interested in your thoughts about what we can do to make governing bodies more diverse and and representative of the communities they serve well in some of them being white british will be a representation mm. of the communities True. they serve i mean there are parts of the country where there is little ethnicity and i think mm. then it is difficult not many but i mean there are i mean i've visited schools i'm always kind of coming from an inner london school mm. you know it's quite shocking when you go to school and it's completely white yeah um so I think that, that is particularly difficult. But I think you've got to be very proactive if you're in an area that is 
um, race, you know, racially diverse and socially diverse and try and get representation for as many different people as you can on your governing body. And I think it is difficult. I, it was easier to do that under the old stakeholder model. I mean, now mm. you've got to justify the skills of everybody on the governing body. So you're trying to put together this extraordinary jigsaw of the, the right people who are going to work together, who've got the right skills mm. and come from the right background. And it just it's really hard to do it. But I do think, I mean, it's it's not only white British, it's also an age profile. I mean, I think yeah. you tend to find that most governors are older. Mm. Uh, the older sort of, you know, people coming to the end of their career are retired professionals and so on. Um, and so that doesn't help either. I mean, I, I think there's a big challenge there. And it may be that we do need to pay governors. I don't know. I've, I've always resisted that idea. But maybe it does need to be a bit more professionalised if you want to bring in a because also if you've got people on a low income, you know, mm. don't have childcare need, I mean, they're not going to be able to do all the work that is expected and you've got to be prepared to do it. There's no way around that fact. If you, yeah. you want to be a governor, you've got to put the hours in. Yeah, and it, it is that, you know, you, you, you can't really contribute if you don't have the time to yeah. to attend the, the meetings or, or you're the support. You're a low parent yeah. or, you know, you're on a low income or you work shift work, you know, it's going to be difficult. So I think schools have got to be very imaginative to find ways to find ways of ensuring their governing bodies are representative. Mm. And at times we've been very successful and other times we haven't. So I think that's probably no different to anybody else. Yeah, and it's, um, uh, you know, governor recruitment is something that that we've we've found difficult um, in, you know, on my uh, governing body. I think one thing we've learned in the past three months is that a lot more can be done on Zoom. I'm not advocating Mm. permanent Zoom governor meetings but some of the things on the fringes of governance that i'm involved with so i'm on this local fair access panel you know the mm. chair local chairs meetings and so on i think some of that stuff could be done online and i think it would be better if it was because sometimes it's literally the thing of getting somewhere at a certain time is difficult you can, you can be present you can't just physically get there yeah. necessarily yeah no um, i mean that's definitely the the experiences that i've had it's the sort of the and the travel and the you know and the dislocation yeah. is the is the issue you know that you could be there for an hour or whatever it it might take i think also where you don't need as much of a relationship with the the people who are are doing it if you're looking through documents and you know having a discussion you can do you can do that more differently but um recruiting and retaining um people from the 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 local community has been has been really tricky and i think there's there's something about having role models or, or, or um, you know, people can can see that there is a place for them on the on the governing board. But then, how do you get that started? Um, uh, we've 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 beef, we've beefed up our um, parent teacher association, which really then helped us yeah. sort of. Um, so it's not a very nice word, but kind of groom people for governance. Uh, and and that's that's one strategy that we've that we've tried, and 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 it's really worked for for us. But. Um, I think it is it is difficult, and when you're just looking to find people to with the skills to fill the seats, maybe people don't put enough of a of a diversity lens on that because they you know mm. they just want um, somebody to do the the role. Mm. Well, I think you, so your officer inspects you on the. I mean, they're supposed to look and see if you've got the right yeah. recruitment and strategy, you've got the right skills on the table. Mm. Exactly so. I mean, London is, is you know, one of the great things about London schools is you can have access to these very diverse intakes and also mm. people with amazing experience who want to give something back. I think, you know, I think one of the, tru- you know, there are lots been written about the success of London education, but I think one of the things that's not flagged up enough is quality of governance in London. 
Mm. And it must be difficult in some communities to find people with that range of skills that, for example, we can find where, you know, in the area that I live in. Yes, uh, and and just the sort of the the proximity and the you know just you know your local school being actually local and a you know mm. a walk rather than th- yeah. you know three bus journeys or whatever it might mm. be. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, I mean a few years ago actually, gov- um, governors for schools did some did some pilot work because they have more volunteers than they know what to do with in London about how they could connect them to you know more rural or remote locations have the governors do you know a certain amount of visiting and kind of keeping in mm. touch in person but really? but try That's and do an it across zoom idea. i think it was probably an idea ahead of its time then but maybe worth revisiting um absolutely I mean, you can do it on zoom because i mean it is a shame that some of these areas don't have that mm. experience they can draw on simply because of their geography or their social economic you know yeah context. i guess all the fact that, that you know if people with those skills maybe have to travel for work and then it's just incompatible with traveling mm. back to mm. to schools and things um and what do you what do you see as the the major challenges that governing bodies are going to have to face in the in the short term um in the run-up to september and in in the longer term over the next few years well i think the obvious challenge mm. is getting young people back into school and especially those ones who have not had a very positive experience out of school. And it's not just about lost learning. It's about social and emotional development, about safety and all sorts of... We don't really know. I mean, it may be that they come back and they're raring to go and they've missed it so much. And I've heard some of the focus groups that have been done with young people in my area have reflected back the fact that people have really... Young people have really been thinking about what education meant and quite resentful of the fact that they read that, you know, there are some young people who have access to much more than they've had access to yeah. in the you know independent sector and so on um so you know it may there may be a positive side in fact that without education some young people will appreciate the value of it but i think there will have been damage done in this case of some families and i think that will be very very challenging for schools to manage that as well as making up the lost learning that has to be you know ha- has to be very quickly assimilated I think, although we don't know what's going to happen with the exams next year or tests next year, but mm. you know, the, the, the bottom line is even if you adapt the curriculum and the you know course content for some young people, you're going to put them at a disadvantage. I, I feel very strongly that it should everybody should be on the same basis, even if it means that you know these two year groups become the year they were affected by COVID, and that sort of like a, carries them through to university, and people understand that there mm. there were limitations to what they could achieve in that time. I think it'd be absolutely hopeless if we just go back to this, you know, right, we're just expecting you to get the same amount of progress, the same amount of GCSE results, as if this hadn't happened. Mm. And it's going to put a lot of school leaders under enormous stress. And we've already got people leaving leaving the profession in a way that we shouldn't have. Um, and that does concern me. Although I think also if there's a recession, what we know is every time there's a recession, recruitment into teaching goes up. So I think the public sector making a difference, you know, secure job that's got purpose is going to be quite attractive to a lot of young people out of this period. So that might be a positive thing to come out of it. Mm. And, and as you say, obviously, uh, heading, heading, heading for a recession and, I mean, likely, likely cuts in the public sector, mm. although potentially recruitment um, mm. would be less of an yeah, issue. Yeah, I think the cuts thing, I mean, we've, we've got the budget for the next three years, haven't we? But who knows? And mm. there's Brexit as well. So, I mean, I don't think anybody... It feels like... I mean, in a way, I feel quite bad sort of bailing out. But I, I think I've noticed in the past few years 
quite a lot of head teachers that I know, not just in my area, mm. but in other areas, sort of retiring early because, you know, the, there's less of the pleasurable side of it and more mm. of the very stressful side of it, being a head teacher. And it's a very lonely job. Indeed, indeed. And I think there's there's also that, you know, people feeling an additional responsibility for aspects of, of families' lives that, that, you know, go beyond the school gates. But at mm. the moment, you know, a lot of the conversations we've been having or, or things that I've been observing across the, the few, last few months has been that, you know, schools have picked up an awful lot of slack there um, mm. and which doesn't really feel sustainable. But, you know, will there be, will there be a safety net um, of support to, to catch people if schools don't continue to do, to do some of that activity? Um, so again, uh, you know, potentially something for governors to be discussing uh, further down the line. Mm-hmm. And and finally, what would you say um, are the most uh, challenging and frustrating um, and brilliant uh, things about being a governor? Um, well, I think the context can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in a school with high disadvantage and you know very complex families it seems to me quite wrong that you're having to basically be judged alongside schools that have got totally different contexts and you know different types of socioeconomic conditions and i think every reform that's been brought in over the past few years has made it tougher on those schools that have you know faced a lot of challenges and i think they're the ones that find it hard to recruit good teachers mm. and good leaders especially in some parts of the country and they're in a they're in a sort of vicious cycle, whereas other schools are in a virtuous cycle. And that, I've written a lot about this. You know, it's been that is a, this is a product of this marketized system of education we have, where parent choice and accountability drives everything. Um, and I think that really needs to be looked at because everybody wants the kids in those schools to do better. And we've just had a general election based on mm. you know leveling up in some of those areas. But they're not really going to do better unless they can get the same quality of teaching and leadership and so on that other parts of the country can get. Um, and you've got to, but but it, they're not very attractive places to work very often. And I've seen that to a certain extent in the schools I've been involved with. So that's a, you know I think that is a that's a more national challenge. Mm. I think the satisfying thing is you know when it works when you get a good head appointing the right person seeing them make a difference to the school seeing something come together and a group team of governors working together well is really very very satisfying yeah i think it's fantastic and i think in the past few years i think you know every time i felt sort of powerless about the national political scene which i do most of the time i think well just put that to one side and try and do what you can in your local community and you know being a governor is one way of making a difference in your local community but so for me it's about it's actually about politics in action locally mm. as much as about schools or governments yeah i think when you when you do feel, as you say, there's there's a, there's a huge hill to to climb in many respects, but you have that that connection, and you can celebrate the things that are working or the achievements that are being made. It does it does kind of sustain mm-hmm. you. Uh, and uh, any any final words you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, only that I think they need to step back and 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 you know. I've always felt this, that we have to celebrate what state education does in this country. And too often, people are in the state sector are on the defensive permanently, partly because we've got such an active private sector, and especially in certain parts of the country. But, you know, 
we do educate 93% of the population and most schools are good or outstanding. Most teachers are doing a fantastic job. And it's even really been depressing in the time of the lockdown to hear carping from the sidelines about sort of lazy teachers staying at home, not preparing any lessons. You know, we need to focus on the positive, what a great personal human endeavour that is. And we've got to make our state schools as good as they can because we want to attract as many people from different backgrounds into the state sector. It, it doesn't, we don't want to be a sort of default model for people who can't afford to pay private school fees. And that's always been a big, big motivating factor for me. And finally, I would say that, you know, I consider my children have had a great privilege of having an inner London state education. It's given them, I, I couldn't, we could have paid for private school fees. It never crossed my mind. I don't want them growing up in that background. But I think they've gained so much from being at their local schools and in comprehensive education particularly. So whatever I do in the future, I think making that case will always be a big part of my life. Well, thank you very much, uh, Fiona, Pleasure. for talking to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key school leaders can access hundreds of articles and the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. Please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at carolinedoherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.